Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good right. luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks very much for joining us on Second Captains of the Irish Times. Hope you enjoyed your bank holiday weekend. And I apologise straight away if I'm a little discombobulated today, but I had one of my sports-related dreams last night, guys. Oh, no. And they always knock me for six, these things. Okay, what happened, big gay? Picture again. Yeah. 1992 Olympic Games, Barcelona. Yeah. I'm running the anchor leg for Team GB in the 4x100 metres. You're running for... Team GB in the 100 yeah, meters. They probably weren't really? called Team GB back then. They were well, great, great okay, who, who was on the team with you? Linford Christie? Linford Christie was handing me the baton. Um, I was the anchor leg. I was running the anchor leg. Just as I was about to take the baton from Big Linford, out of the corner of my eye, I spotted Colin Jackson. All suited up and ready to go, but you see there'd been a controversial... He'd been omitted. To let, might be to let me in. Okay. So this threw me completely. Mm. But I refocus on the job. Somewhat controversial selection. <laughs> was. And he's a hurdler. He doesn't really have the raw speed of mm. you. Of a 13-year-old Owen McDevitt. Yeah, it's true <laughs> enough. I took the baton from Linford, and then the alarm went off. Oh, so you never found no out? No idea how I got on. No, I'd, I'd have a... I, I could hazard a guess. Go on. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of the US sprinters that would have been, a, you know, the four... I had a decent lead, though. I had a decent lead um, mm. given to me by Linford Christie. I would say I if you had a lead of 70 yards, <laughs> 70 metres, there's a Chad's 30-year-old old McDevitt might be able Le- to... Leroy Burrell might have caught me in that kind of leg in the States. I mean, when you look back at the, uh, you know, that 1992, of course, the times weren't quite as quick as they are today. Pretty quick, though. I mean, if you keep, if you keep going back in four years, the increments, you find the times slowing down a little. Mm. I mean, I, I remember was was in, interested to see that apparently I would have won the gold medal Um in one of the uh, swimming events in the 1896 Olympics. I only discovered later that, in fact, it was, it was done in open water. You know, so, so that may have had something to do with the, with the incredibly slow times being posted. But I wonder how far back in history you would have to go uh, to find an Olympiad when you uh, would have been able to win 100 metres. I suppose about 1352, uh, Europe ravaged by plague. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I would have been a monster among those guys too. That's yeah, strange. average height, uh, four foot eight. Yeah, uh, those that were still alive. 
and uh, maybe you would have had a chance. I'd have to, I'd have to back myself against plague victims. I mean, there might, might be the only. Sunset well, I, I suppose of people... by definition, these wouldn't be the victims that you're competing against. They would be the survivors. Well, sur- well, yeah, but I mean, maybe they ha- they have the plague; they just haven't died of it yet. Meanwhile, back in the real world, Ken Roy Keane has controversially stormed out of ITV's World Cup team, or yeah. more accurately, he's left on probably good terms. Mm, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, we don't know. It, it, it seems to be. I remember, you know, ITV said there's a place for Roy on our couch anytime, um, but he was there supposed to be their main man. You know, I mean, he he was he was the main man at their launch. You know, he was the star pundit. But the writing was on the wall. ITV-wise, as soon as the Celtic news came up, what's interesting about this now, and since the last time we spoke, so much has happened here, Roy mm-hmm. Keane has turned down the chance to be the Celtic manager, whether or not he was going to be offered the job, nobody knows. He's then linked to the Aston Villa. Been, I think he would have been offered the job, all right. I don't think Dermot Desmond is going to be calling up Martin O'Neill and asking to speak to Roy. Well, then why, but supposedly they travelled to Sweden to speak to Henrik Larsson too. There's no guarantee that Roy Keane had the job, I don't think. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think, what's the point of ringing him if you're not going to offer him the job? What's the point of going to Sweden? Roy, we'd like to, inter- Roy, we'd like to interview you for the job. I don't think that would work with, in that particular case. I think either you're going to offer him the job or not. It, in, it, it's sort of academic now because he evidently has not, uh, or has asked not to be considered. Yeah, and he's also asked not to be considered. Which is a ni- the... It's a nicer way of, yeah. it's, it's a nicer way of putting, I'm not taking the job. It, you know, I'd rather not be considered is a little bit different from turned the job down I suppose Why is he asked not to be considered for the ITV World Cup team? Um, well he wants to concentrate on his coaching that's uh, that's what's been that's what's <laughs> He been wants to said. concentrate on dealing with all these job offers he keeps getting Yeah I mean there's obviously the Ireland thing um, but then there's this Aston Villa link um, Aston Villa of course fired their assistant manager uh, a couple of months back this is why Shea Given uh, was uh, had had sort of been promoted onto the staff uh, for the last uh, few weeks of the season. Uh, so Villa are obviously looking for an assistant manager, and it seems that their Paul Lambert is interested in bringing in Roy Keane. I don't know how Shea Given feels about it. I mean, uh, I suppose whatever Roy Keane. Uh, I mean, he's slammed Shea Given many times over the years. You know, for his his loyalty, his, his the dog like way in which he kept turning up to receive more Ireland caps. Couldn't he have stood aside and let someone else have a go? Uh, but um, well, Roy Keane has been bearing hatchets with people it, quite a lot recently. In people underneath people. I mean, he did say he he has pointed out many times that the players who want to be really worried are the ones that he's not talking about. So, yeah. so Shea Given has little or nothing to worry about. Shea Given's one of his top men because he's one of the people who gets most criticism. Whereas if he's not criticizing you, then that's when you know. He thinks you really deserve criticism. What do you think about the Villa link? Uh, I find it puzzling. I find it, I find it really difficult to understand. I mean, he, you know, uh, he obviously wants to be back involved in day-to-day football. You know, I can understand. That. I mean, I was watching last week the, some of the training, and obviously Martin O'Neill has brought in um, Steve Walford and Steve Guppy. Although he's, you know, it's it's not clear yet. How, how long-term their roles are going to be with the team. But, you know, watching it on Thursday, there was this open training session at the uh, Aviva. Um, there was quite a few people there, actually. I mean, a lot of people had come along to, to watch this training session. Um, you know, it was an organised thing. Um, I was just watching Keane, because obviously that was the moment at which everyone was wondering, OK, is, is, is this Celtic thing really going to happen? Keane was supposed to do the press conference after, after this training session. Just watching him, and, I mean, he's kind of walking around out there Walford and Guppy are, are putting the guys through their paces. And, 
you know, I'm, I'm, it's difficult to necessarily see exactly what it is that Keane is saying. I mean, he's obviously there. He's got a sort of regal presence. Everybody can feel his eyes burning into them if he's if he's looking over them. Maybe that has its own value. That's sort of the eye of Sauron standing next to the goalpost. But was ter- what was Tardelli doing under trap? Ah, oh, I don't. Th- yeah, I don't think you can benchmark anyone against Sorry, Tardelli. No, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, standing with his hands, the- standing with his hands behind his back, maybe. Okay. Now, I saw so, so did did the bar of you know that we haven't really set I saw, an extraordinarily high bar. We have. I saw, we I saw Tardelli at Craven Cottage. Actually, he was he came walking past and uh, standing outside the door of the press entrance, and we were, it was a couple of Irish journalists standing there. And we saw Tardelli. We're like, oh, Marco, hello. So he came over and shook hands, and, he, and we were like, so are you? Uh, Still living here in London? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he, Franco Baldini turned up. You know Franco Baldini, yeah. that guy? Um, Spurs sporting director. Um, truly magnificent head of hair. On my, he, he reminds me a bit of, you know, Heart to Heart. Do you remember Heart to Heart? Yeah. yeah. Um, is it Robert Wagner? <laughs> a little bit like Robert Wagner. Um, wearing a, a pair of uh, very... Uh, Young man's jeans, let's say Frank Bailey. I mean, he's what fifty, sixty odd. Who mm. cares? You know why? Why should he be bothered about that? Tardelli was there, uh, obviously still taking an interest in Irish football affairs. So Trapattoni was in Milano, wasn't uh, wasn't as interested. But uh, where, where? How do we get talking about this? Oh yeah, Karen wanted to know what Marco Tardelli's role had been in. Well, his role, you know, he, he didn't. He didn't have a lot. There's, there's, but a budget, was, there's a budget there yeah. for an extremely well decorated former international footballer to stand around and give off a, uh, as you say, a regal presence. Yeah, that's it, it's in the books. So we might as well we might as well keep that role going. For but Keane's Keane's situation is obviously very different from Tardelli. You know, um, I mean, Keane is this high profile figure. Uh, everyone is interested to hear what he thinks about everything. Um, you know, when Tardelli was doing the, the updates, the press duties, you know, it was like... Oh, no, I right. think people might have been interested at the start with Tardelli and then found out that he is happy enough to bore people. He literally said nothing at any time. He All was right. just, like, you know, the manager, this manager, that. But, you know, that Thursday, was we were waiting to see Roy Keane come in. Then Martin O'Neill comes through the door for the press conference. And at which point everyone said, OK, well, this is actually, this is really going to happen then, you know. The Celtic O'Neill confirmed that the Desmond thing, Desmond had been in touch. Um, so at that point, I think people were pretty much taking it for granted. OK, he's... You know, they, it wouldn't have got to this stage if he wasn't if he wasn't going to take it. Obviously, something happened to change his mind. As as to why he would be interested in Aston Villa, Owen, I find it difficult to understand. But I've given up trying to uh, <laughs> trying to guess what's going on. Dennis Hickey's going to be with us in studio today to talk about well what lies in wait for Leinster in the years after Brian O'Driscoll and also the tour of Argentina starts on Saturday I don't know if you saw Paul O'Connell Murphy in the Irish Times today John Fallon was reporting this says the players were very tuned into this tour just as soon as they stepped on the flight there were seven or eight laptops flying around with guys looking at footage it's great to see that enthusiasm says Mm. O'Connell now listen I'm not doubting for one moment that some of the guys would do a bit of research on the way over, but is there even a small chance here that they were watching Game of Thrones right I, up until the second that Paul O'Connell... I, I think there's a very big chance on. ...got up to stretch his legs. Oh, but Paul, he's just watching a few <laughs> scrum sessions. <laughs> How many tabs are open on those guys' laptops, I wonder? And we'll talk about all that later on. The big question ahead of this year's Hurling Championship was whether or not it could touch the heights. It got to last summer. The signs are pretty good early on. Waterford gave Cork a big scare last week, and this weekend just gone Limerick. A little bit aggrieved, apparently, at a lack of respect for their achievements last season. They beat Tip in a thriller. 
And you know the summer's arrived when Liam O'Hearn, superb commentator at Live 95 in Limerick, totally loses his shit. Breaking ball inside there. Tipperary have possession of it. Away they come with it. You can never write Limerick off. James Ryan has it. Barry Kelly looks at the watch. Ryan across the centre. It's one by way McNamara. Seamus Hickey gathers it. Hickey on the run towards the 45-yard line. This will put two between them. And this will be a monumental victory. Seamus Hickey. It's been 41 years since we won in Paris. It's over. It's over, Brian Gary. It's over. 218 to 216. A confined giant Central Stadium in Paris. And Limerick have beaten Tipperary. Oh. Oh, Jesus. This is unbelievable. Absolutely unreal. What a way to win a game. 218 to 216. Limerick came in. They hadn't been given a hope and be Jesus. And my God almighty, what a performance. What a victory. Ah, yeah, wonderful stuff there. And fair play to Live 95 in Limerick for stretching the budget and bringing over. I mean, they've Liam Hearn there at the start mm. of that commentary, Liam Hearn at the end. And in the middle, they've flown in Macho Man Randy Savage by the sound of things. A confined giant Central <laughs> Stadium in Paris and Limerick. <laughs> Ah, bad. We should confirm that Liam Hearn wasn't actually playing the game, though, even though it would, does sound to the untrained ear that he has actually just finished playing that game. He wasn't mic'd up as he was running around for 70 <laughs> minutes on the field of play. For people who didn't see this game, it was incredible. I don't think I'm overstating it. No, it, was, absolutely it had the classic brilliant. finish on top of a lot of other amazing... And the atmosphere was brilliantly captured there, all joking aside, by Liam Hearn. It looked incredible on TV and uh, it just already quite a, quite a big occasion. Yeah, and uh, just the... The, the way that the Limerick public backed uh, backed their team, you know, obviously they are monster champions, but they had had a pretty terrible league, had a pretty terrible spring, lost the senior part of their uh, management uh, setup. So the fact that they came up in such huge numbers actually made a huge, huge uh, difference to the occasion. I mean, we saw Cork and Waterford uh, played out in, in in front of a much smaller crowd, and they're two usually the, the best supported teams in, in the country. And even then, they managed to generate a reasonable atmosphere, yeah. despite having less numbers. So when you pack a few more people in, yeah, and it was it was just kind of ridiculous, really, that Limerick could have that disallowed goal. Um, the tip would go three ahead, and it looked pretty much all over. And it is still the hangover from last year that you're kind of thinking, well, you know, some stage this is going to settle down, and we're not going to have these ridiculous finishes. But to have another one. Uh, uh, we're two games in effectively into the Munster Championship and they've both been really really top class Limerick forward David Breen has joined us in studio David thanks very much for calling in yeah good to be here Les thanks and congratulations on the win at the weekend Gavin O'Mahony uh, saw, speaking to Sean Moran in the Irish Times today he was being asked about losing the semi-final the and semi-final to Clare last year and he said look we can't keep looking back we've been looking back for 40 years it's time to put a bit of belief in this group I thought it was a nice quote is there belief in the group now? yeah definitely you know I think Looking at that game yesterday, the easiest thing to do in the world would be just to, in the last 10 or 15 minutes, just to go back into the old moral victories and hard luck stories that kind of have been around Limerick for a long time. So the lads kept their cool and um, there was no panic and had a strong finish. So There seemed to be a sense afterwards that... Um, uh, this is the oldest motivational ploy in the book, but this idea that, look, we're being written off, we're the champions and nobody's giving us any respect, that seemed to be a genuine thing? It was pretty genuine, yeah, because, I mean, we, we were written off, you know, and you're monster champions, but in fairness, I suppose the bookies are setting their odds for a reason, and, you know, we probably had, a like, the, the league campaign, 
we were in the driving seat and we left to slip away but that's 10 or 12 minutes at the end of a game against Offaly where you just go to sleep and all of a sudden you know your big objective for that league is gone you know it's it's, it's finished and a lot of people can kind of read into that and then I suppose with you know with, with Donald O'Grady departing and things like that just um, probably made things look a hell of a lot worse than maybe they really were under it all so yeah, it just it strikes me as strange, and you know, even Tipperary's motivation was being called into question on the back of something that Bob's Keating said on Saturday morning. That at this stage, uh, where preparation of teams is so scientific and all the rest, you know, and you're looking, but the draw was made for the Munster Championship probably last October. You've been aiming for this Tip game from from then, and for the motivation to boil down to sort of outside influences, that's kind of strange. You know, it's strange that that's still the way it it can work in intercounty team setups. Yeah, and we use it, you know, we use it well. We got our heads right on the day um, and, yeah, there was, a, there was a little bit of a lack of respect, all right, or a feeling that, you know, uh, look, Limerick, they had a good year last year, but chances are they'll probably go back to just the way they have been now this year again. And, you know, players don't like that, you know. I mean, not that we put all our stock in what people say outside of the camp. We don't, you know, we, we're very much listen to the group but um, it's not nice when you feel like you're being disrespected um, at, 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 at your sport Yeah and I, 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 just it is interesting that, uh, that, the, that the group would decide that as well that right okay um, there was a situation where people are saying Limericker have blown it again in, after, in the aftermath of the Donald O'Grady thing and for you guys to use that as a motivation nearly as much that it's in the tradition maybe of Limerickering in the past you know, good years have been followed by bad years, and that was probably a big motivation for you as well to make sure that it wasn't just one year, just a one-year um, uh, success story for you guys. Yeah, exactly, and I think that's really key with this group. It's it's uh, it's it's a really talented bunch of players and really really driven bunch as well. And you know, the easiest thing in the world would just be kind of Asher. Look, we'll give it a lash and we see how the rest of the season goes. But like, I mean, we remember very key games over the last few years that have kind of epitomised the way our seasons have gone and, and one was was the tip game in Turles two years ago and you know all the, all the, that's done and dusted but we felt like you know we were what six seven points up with ten minutes to go and then to lose by three or four it's you know we're kind of really really sick about that to be honest and we said look we're not that that's not going to happen again and at the end of the day, you can do it in a challenge match, you can do it in a training match, so why can't we just do it in, you know, in, in a championship match? Yeah, and the game itself was absolutely insane to look at. You're just battling back from injury at the moment, and you're back in the panel. How was it to, to watch from the sidelines? Yeah, it was, it was a bit strange watching it from the sideline, but obviously you want to be out there and, and you want to, you want to get, get involved. But um, I know, look, it was, it was brilliant like, to see, see the boys do their stuff and... I thought the two midfielders were outstanding, you know, they were, they were around my, my area of the park from the sideline looking at it, but I, th- I thought Paul Brown and Jim Bob Ryan were really good. Yeah, and the man wearing your number 10 jersey from last year didn't do too bad either, Shane Dowling, with two goals and nine points, which probably gives you something to think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little more than what I clock <laughs> up now in a season, but um, I know, look, the, the Dow is uh, he's a talented, talented young lad, and, you know, he's, he's ace with the freeze, so... Um, delighted for him now personally as well. You know, delighted for Kevin Downs as well. You know, like I thought Kevin Downs did a lot of work that maybe have gone unnoticed, but you know, but he kind of made that last goal really, and and uh, he's a top player as well. What is your own injury situation now? You, you had an operation on your knee. Was it earlier this year? 
Yeah, I had it had it um kind of earlier February or March and yeah, I've just been kind of spending a lot of time in the gym, a lot of time rehabbing there. I just needed to with the way that the club season had gone, um, with Napierstig reaching an All Ireland club semi final, the season had just stretched on so long. I knew that I was going to have to take a bit of time and just try and work on, on getting that right. And when you're trying to do work in the gym and then loading it on the pitch and then the gym and loading it on the pitch, it's you know it's you're kind of constantly putting out fires. So just needed to take a bit of time out. So there had but, been the, you've been playing through the pain barrier for quite a while. I had been playing on it for a good while, and you know the knee would swell up the following day, and it was just constantly going down, swelling up, and and pain and things like that. And it was it wasn't anything that would stop you from playing, but I just knew myself if I wanted to try and get the best out of myself, I just needed to just take a cut from it for a while. Yeah. So thankfully now I'm yeah in a, in a much better place than I was. Feeling pr- feeling pretty good. Hand hand is up for selection at this point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's a lot of guys in there doing that. That's look, that's all competition. And, you know, you want to try and get the best out of the boys that are on the pitch as well. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, and the, the fact that you w- that you won on Sunday means uh, it kind of opens up the whole summer for you. You get to a Munster final, the worst case, if you, even if you lose that, you're playing in the last Sunday in July. So it does kind of, it, it opens it up for you beautifully f- from the point of view of coming back from injury in that you know you have you have you have dates in your mind now and you have a Munster final or at worst, as I say, another quarter final to look forward to. Looking ahead to the Munster final, who would you who would you fancy a crack at? Is is Claire the big one from a revenge point of view? <laughs> yeah, revenge. Um, ah, look, I mean, made the best team. Camille Stair, <laughs> I suppose. You know, um, ah, look, it it, w- it would be nice to play Claire again. Um, I'm sure Claire would be going for a monster as well. You know, um, don't have to to put onto the their Ireland from last year, but. It's, it's it's very hard to call. You know, a lot of people would have written Modiford off too as well until they went out and played Cork, you know, and it's, we, we're not too too bothered. Yeah, really. and it's a funny one because even talking about the the underdog status or the idea of maybe not getting enough respect, I get, if you end up playing against Clare, it could be that you could, could maintain that maybe there, but if, if it was Waterford and coming through and, and beating Cork and beating Clare, you don't necessarily have that. So might it be that you have to go into the next game and find a different source of motivation because I'm, I'm assuming everyone certainly is respecting you after the game against Tipperary. Do you have to look for a different source this time? No, I don't think so. I think, we'll, I think we'll still be underdogs. <laughs> you know, I just think that's the mentality out there about Limerick Hurley, maybe even from within the own county right. at times, you know, with some supporters, uh, maybe they just, you know, like this is a this is a good bunch of lads. And is that frustrating yeah. that you win these matches, you get the finals, you win the Munster title? It is. I mean, it's frustrating, but at the end of the day, too, you have to be consistent, you know, and you have to win consistently to change people's outlook. I mean, you look at Claire's story, like, I mean, they wouldn't have been too much different from us, you know, a, a few years back in the way that they would have been talked about as well. And in fairness, like, they've performed consistently well. Obviously, they won the big one last year and, and they did well in the league this year, too. So it's just you just have to be consistent with it and not give people a reason to mm. to kind of use those excuses. Yeah, because Gerlach Nan in Sunday Game is speaking about, and this comes up quite a lot, I don't know if it's a bit of a cliche, but this idea that when that Limerick have a certain spirit about them and, and when they're playing well, that, that this sort of exists in that county. Is it any different in Limerick than it is anywhere else, the idea that you need to be playing with a certain spirit and a certain style to win? That's something that we'll always have, you know, and it's something that we're very proud about. And if we felt like in a lead up to a big championship match or anything where we weren't where the mood or where the you know the spirit maybe might be lacking a little bit we'd be very quick to kind of point it out 
But regardless of how our preparations have gone in any year that I can remember, we'll always, you know, play with play with that kind of passion. And, you know, Limerick and fairness the supporters were fantastic on Sunday. I was I was really, really impressed uh, the crack that was head up on that town end terrace. Was, um, it looked pretty wild. <laughs> it did look wild. Yeah, if you can't be played it's probably better to be up there than be on the subs bench. I don't know, but yeah. it, it does seem pretty mental. All there right. was a show going on up there. It was, yeah. it was great. But no, I mean, for that kind of support in Turles and to see the guys just really get behind and the easiest thing in the world there on Sunday would be just say, stay at home I'm going to watch it on the couch and sure look we'll see what happens you know but fairness to the sports they turned out and they had a great time and we are just delighted we could kind of do the business for them on the pitch as well Yeah, it makes a difference obviously well listen David Breen great to talk to you and best of luck with the rest of the year too. Yeah, thanks very much The hairdryer is, is a metaphor for the current of hot air generated by various blasts of temper the hairdryer with which uh, Alex Ferguson was famously associated he threw a hairdryer I think at David Beckham he threw a hairdryer at David Beckham uh, in the is that right? no 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 lovely stuff from David really not willing to let this us against the world mentality die I like it are you a fan of it Ken? as a general motivation for sports people the critics have been writing us off. We're not getting the respect. Limerick won the title last year. They've beaten... in. They won the Munster title last year. They've beaten Tip again this year into another final. And still David is saying, no one respects us. Um, well, maybe they don't. Maybe he's right. Well, he was right ahead of this game. Mm. I mean, they were massive underdogs, which I did think was a little strange. But it's easy to say that now. After this <laughs> sitting here, I didn't say it on air last week, so... Yeah, I mean, I think everyone thought that it would be reasonably close, but that... Everyone also thought Tipperary would win it by three to five points, which I think is what nearly all of us said uh, last Thursday. But yeah, it just it it's kind of weird, you know. But at the same time, if you if you know that it works for you, then you know it doesn't matter to what extent you have to go to to try and keep that run going. So I mean, if Limerick win three All Ireland final, three All Ireland titles in a row, the fourth year, they're still going to have to try and find someone, anyone. That has slagged them off in well, some in way. Well, in fairness, that's not a million miles from what Sherlock Nan tried to do with Clare in the 90s. And that's yeah. maybe part of the reason why they became less popular. Because they did try to maintain, they had a bit of baggage around them. They did try to maintain this idea that they were being persecuted in some way. And there was no problem with that in the first year at all. Everyone loved it. Maybe there wasn't mm. even a huge problem in 97. By 98, people were like, I'll give it a rest. Yeah, that is the thing about it. I mean, it's it's what it's a Jose Mourinho method, you know. And, that's, and the problem is that... Uh, Eventually, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, uh, while you're, people may not even have been taking much notice of you to begin with, but after many years of you against the world, warfare between you and the world, then the world uh, does genuinely want to see you crash and burn. What's coming up in Second Captain's Football? That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I want down to Anfield and we'll see them up. What are you doing down here, you shawnee man? (laughs) Well, there was a big, big story over the weekend, Owen, in the uh, Sunday Times, which uh, really, I don't know if this Qatar World Cup can go ahead in its current form. I mean, it just seems. Um, as though the bidding process that's led to the World Cup being in Qatar is, is, has now has been so compromised and it's so obvious 
that it's been so compromised that I really don't see how people can stand over it anymore. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, story and the uh, the consequences of that. We're going to talk also about uh, Roy Keane, Ireland and the whole situation uh, there, which is endlessly interesting. Dennis Hickey has joined us in studio. Dennis, thanks for popping in. Not at all. Uh, we're going to start by talking about Brian O'Driscoll and I, it was an anti-climax and it wasn't an ideal way to finish but if you take his last 12 months as a whole um, maybe there were different circumstances uh, with the Lions as well but he's got a Lions victory under his belt a Six Nations victory and now a Rabo victory to cap things off. Would he have been happy enough with that do you think 12, 13 months ago? Well, I think so. I think that... Um there was an element of a gamble, I think, to playing on one more year, uh, the year that's just gone by. Um, and I, I'm sure there was plenty of differing opinions, even from those closest to him, I'd say, about what, you know, what the best strategy was to, to which he play on another year or not. And making a big decision probably this time last year uh, as to whether he wanted to play on another year and what was going to be, you know, what was, what was he playing for, I suppose. And I think... Um, with Joe Schmidt coming in as coach, I think that was the certainly the catalyst that that made him think that he could play another year or that he wanted to play another year. I I I, I would honestly believe that if maybe Joe hadn't been coach, I'm not sure he would have played really? on another year. I, th- I think it would have been a much tougher decision this time last year, yeah. prior to that appointment. Um, but then all of a sudden, when 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 that appointment was made, and the decision was made. Uh, I think um, if you had to. Well, I suppose if you add up what 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 was winnable for the year, you know, it was pretty much I think about three out of four things yeah. he's come away with. You know, I always had an outside feeling that if he was going to go the one more year, he might he might end up changing his mind and do another one again and go to the World Cup. But it's it's funny it's funny even to talk about a player's retirement. You've been mm. through this because it's not it's kind of nobody else's business in a way. It's, mm. it's within it, as you say the person the people close to the person the person themselves have to talk it through. But it is one of the more interesting parts of sport. When exactly should somebody? Um, uh, hang it up it seems like he, he seems to have got it right and certainly he's got some silverware yeah like, and by and large most people get it wrong you know because it's so difficult well it's not, it's not I don't think sorry I don't think you can ever get it wrong if you if you make if you make a decision and you're the player and you want to play I don't think then the decision can ever be wrong um, uh, because you know, it's, you know everyone's everyone's in charge of charge of themselves in that respect but often um, certainly in a team sport where it's not let's say like a let's say a distance runner who said you know I'm going to go one more year and you know I'm going to here's my new training schedule and it doesn't work out for them well it's, it's really all on them you know for, for a number of reasons either through injury or whatever but when you're involved in a team sport you know you could have the season of your life and the team just have a really bad season or vice versa this team could have a you know, fantastic year you could pick up an injury in game one and you don't get to play and it all it all kind of um just fades away, but obviously it didn't happen like that this year. And um, for Brian, and as a result, he's had a, a fantastic season. You couldn't really have had a, a better season to um, to to bow out on. And you know the, the disappointments of, let's say, even the injury in the last game notwithstanding, I think every now and then, you know, the, the game in inverted commas will uh, kind of steps in to remind you that it's really in charge and uh, you don't get to write every last uh, yeah, word you of, when of the script. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and I think even, you know, I think, I think um, having, uh, you know, the way it finished, I don't think it was, I don't think it was, um, it wasn't obviously ideal, but, you know, he couldn't have any complaints. He doesn't, I don't know if the defeats get harder to deal with towards the end of the career, but would he be the type, do you think, to, 
harbour regrets about how the Heineken Cup season ended, the manner of the defeat to Toulon? Or is there enough there in his career and in this season that he can let one Heineken Cup go? Well, I think that um, as you certainly, the more experienced you, uh, you, you become and the longer your, your career goes uh, and the more successful you are in that career, um, and obviously Brian would be at the, the upper end of that scale in terms of successes with the trophies he's won. I think uh, as 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 you reach that fourteenth, you know, thirteenth year, whatever fourteenth year, and you've won all those things, w- winning actually, I think, while it, while it's obviously very important, I think you become much more preoccupied with the losses, um, and you're probably driven not by you're driven by not wanting to lose, right. um, and the 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 pain of those defeats. Uh, sticks with you much more than the wins, and you know I think anyone who saw, let's say, for example, the Ronan O'Gara documentary, um, there was a clip after them losing the uh, the Heineken Cup. I think it wasn't too long, mm. and you could see, you know, those sort of losses uh, for players who have achieved so much hurt much more. You, you know, there's, there's 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 much more to be there's much more taken from those losses than there are from from the corresponding victories, um, and I think that's that's a that's a um, uh, a sign of, I suppose, how both experience you've been, how long you've played and how successful you've been. How much do Leinster lose off the field at this stage in terms of has O'Driscoll and the likes of yourself and all the players who made the the club so successful, is it at the point now that commercially in regards to how it's marketed and how successful it's been in that way that it can actually withstand the loss of probably Ireland's greatest ever player? Well I think that the, and that and that's you know I was thinking about this even this final at the weekend uh, and you could say that in many ways um, the organisation the team has got to a stage when they can survive without him mm. you know he went off after Brian went off after you know five eight minutes whatever it was and the team went on played really well and guys slotted in and they won and uh, you could maybe make the case that you know would have people might have been asking a the, the question four or five years ago if that had happened would Leinster have gone on kicked on and win a final without him without Brian and not even just so much on the field but in terms of how successful yeah. it is off the field it, have they got to a point where they can withstand it yeah I think I think they have I think the brand now has been built and the organisation has been built to a level and obviously Brian played a huge part in that um, whereby uh, and, and maybe in, in in that respect the game kind of mirrors what, what's happened off the pitch um, is that the organisation has become a, a very large franchise and um, uh, you know there's there's enough personalities there there's enough top players still playing with Leinster still attracted to coming to play with Leinster whereby I think that the um, the organisation is still a, a, a um, is still a a very viable um, and top tier organisation, mm. even with these, uh, you know, great players like Brian uh, and Leo kind of stepping back. Um, I do think though that that Leinster now is is in a kind of position of uh, it's still under pressure. I think Leinster really needs to aspire to be in the top, probably in the top four to six franchises in Europe uh, from a rugby perspective. Yeah, so that's you know across England, anyone who's playing the European competition, and it needs to it needs to do what it whatever it has to do to be able to stay in that. So it needs to be able to get to the semi final of the Heineken Cup every year, or, or whatever this new Champions Cup is going to be called uh, every year, um, and it needs to have the uh, uh, and, and maintain, I suppose, and and increase the the the, um, the crowd sizes. It needs to be able to draw in the sponsorship. It needs to be able to retain the players. Um, and I think it needs to look really hard at um, how it can harness some of the private money, maybe that's in that's in that that's in Leinster to to keep it there. Because I think ultimately, um, you know, the 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 bar is kind of set by the 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 
the um, the biggest achievers so far, and they are this year Toulon and last year Toulon. And, so and you're talking w- about pr- private money on top. Yeah, of I think they might have to because I think that um, you know if you're in the top four franchises, you have to work very very hard to stay in that. If you drop out of that, um, and for some reason you know players you know, come to the end of their the cycle, you can't uh, attract. Um, replacement players, you can't grow homegrown um, players of that quality, you can't attract coaches of that quality, all of a sudden it becomes a very vicious circle that spins very quickly and it's very hard to, to, to stop it so Leinster are now in a position where they are probably in the top 4-6 to six franchises in Europe, both in terms of the competitions they've won, the, their, their performances ok, it didn't go well for them this year in the in the Heineken Cup, but if they need to stay at that level retain those players, they just have to look at I think I suppose everything all across the board, on the field off the field, and what can they do to, to um to, to stay in the position that they fought very, very hard over a period of you know ten to fifteen years to to, to find themselves. I guess in. one of the issues there, Dennis, would be that even if there was this extra mm. money coming from uh, from private sources, mm. there would still be a limit on the amount of foreign players that could be brought in. For example, yeah. Matt O'Connor had an interesting comment after the game. He said, "I'd love to bring in five or six players, but that's not never going to happen." I'm arguing with the IRFU every day to make sure we can win Europe. Whether it happens or not, I don't mm. know. That's the kind of thing maybe a coach likes to say in public at the end of a season yeah. just to put a bit of pressure on. But uh, he, he might have a point. It's interesting that he feels he needs to bring in five or six players. That's so quite a lot. Yeah, well, I, I suppose I should say, you know, to the point I've just made, this is, I, I've, no, I've no real feel of how this could be implemented. I'm not, like, I, I've, I've, a, I've a, uh, an understanding, I suppose, of the system, the way it works between Leinster and the IRFU and how the, the, the uh, Professional Games Committee has to control uh, the development of players, and rightfully so. And they've done, obviously, a very good job if Ireland can win the Six Nations and you know, win the Rabo and get to the semi-final. One of the teams get to the uh, semi-final, the Hyden Cup, and quarter-final. So, you know, obviously, to an extent, uh, and by most measures, the, the you know the, the game is being run well. However, that's what's got them to there in the future. Currently, what what what's, what is the next five to ten years? What's that going to involve? What strategies is that going to involve? But to your point, I suppose, about Mac O'Connor saying he'd like to be in another five uh, to six players. Well, if you think about what. Um, the the the, le- the level of player uh, of player turnover in 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 the c- clubs he's probably trying to compete with. That's probably what they will be trying to bring in. And most of those top clubs, Toulons and Toulouse and uh, you know Leicesters and um, you know uh, Northamptons, they would all like to be bringing in four to five players. Yeah. Whether they're all they're all constrained by 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 different, or some of them aren't constrained by uh, financial sensibilities. But um, I'm I'm not surprised to hear a guy like Matt say. You know, we do. He would like to bring in four to five players because, you know, he's been there a season. He's seen where his, stra- his his squad is strong, and he mightn't necessarily be saying, "I need to bring in five front line players." He might say, "Listen, these are positions we need to to improve on. We need to have guys come through or um, make an investment in a player, maybe not for next year, but for the next couple of years." So, so I, th- I think five isn't a huge number, but he probably would like to bring in, you know one or two real marquee players if he could but that's the system which he works in and those constraints for example in clubs in Northampton might be salary caps and just the the pot of money that's available in places like Wales the constraints are probably different because the way the game is run there so every country has its its different constraints at the moment you would say that the the, the, the groups that are le- least shackled are probably those in France. It does help that, uh, well, it helps if the signings you have made work out and Zane Kirchner has mm. had a slow enough start, but is that the kind of performance that he gave at the weekend that can propel a guy and is that what his teammates need to see when a foreign player comes over? You, you, you need to see that this is going to reap rewards because there's got to always be a doubt about whether it's going to work out or not. Well, to be, I think to be fair in Zane Kirchner, I think he had a very, he had a very good game at the weekend. Um, 
you know, he's a very experienced test player, but he, he hasn't had a huge amount of starts in big games for Leinster, um, which has been very, which must be very difficult for him because I'm sure he's thinking after this weekend, well, you know, this is what I could do if I if I started 15 games. Uh, I could probably have done that in, you know, at least half of them. And just the way uh, the 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 strength of the Leinster backline at the moment is that it it um, he wasn't guaranteed a, a starting space, certainly with the emergence of, say, of Dave Carney and his performances for Ireland. Um, so that you know that's that, that I think was what constrained him. I think I'd be I have every confidence if if he was playing every week. He you know they're the sort of performances he can deliver, and he's done it as I say at the highest level. So um, you know I, I thought he'd I thought he had a good first season. Um, as I say, it's a difficult role coming into a new club. You're a big name. It's not obvious exactly where you're going to play because you can play everywhere, and therefore you don't get to necessarily nail down a position. And um, you know you're on the bench and you're you're playing when maybe the, the some of the top players are off playing for Ireland. So it's not, it's not an easy position to fill, uh, and the bar just happened to be set extremely high by a guy like Easton Asewa, who who is probably the best signing, the best overseas signing, certainly in the history of Irish rugby, mm-hmm. I'd say, um, so far. Uh, so. You know, against that backdrop, you could say, well, you know, it's been somewhat of a slow season, but I, I still think he's a he, he's going to be a great addition next year, and um, you might see him get more game time. Just a word on the Irish, well, the Irish squad has gone over to or has gone over to mm. play in Argentina, but the big news ahead of that is John Plumtree is leaving yeah. as forwards coach, which seems to be a bit of a shock. How big a how big news is this? Uh, it's a real blow. I think it's a it's a it's a serious blow for Ireland, and I think, it, um, you know, I've, I've read. I heard some of the interviews and I read some of the interviews again this morning and you know it's clearly for personal reasons he's been on the road for what seems like about 15 years um, I heard Paul O'Connell was just re- read one of his quotes and you know it's, he had uh, learnt in this meeting that John Plumtree spoke at before they left that you know he has a young son that his dad's never seen and all that sort of stuff so he seems to have been on the road for a huge amount of time and this is a chance to go back and work basically for his local club be 10 minutes away from where his parents live so you know, I can understand the reasons behind it, but from, but from a, an Irish perspective, I think it is a big blow. I think uh, all the forwards um, spoke extremely high of him, highly of John Palmtree. Their performance this year was was you know the Irish forwards' performance this year was a really um, what set them apart in the, some of those big games. Certainly with the the their, the um, the prowess and the driving ball, which was clearly a function of the work they've been doing with Plumtree. And I always think the best you know the best indicator and the best barometer maybe of, of of these guys' ability is is when big senior players come out and say you know this guy's a fantastic coach. And Paul O'Connell was very quick to to praise him after the Six Nations and during the Six Nations and in November. Are they not going to have to say that anyway, though. They don't really. No, I okay. don't think you know. I think there's there's uh, they have to say something, but I think. Well, maybe it's because maybe uh, because I know Paul. Maybe that I would if I was, uh, you know, if it was coming from a player I, I hadn't known. I, you know, I don't think Paul would be as as effusive in his praise if he wasn't as strong a, a coach as he is. So I think it's a, it is a blow for Ireland to blow for Les Kiss. Uh, sorry, for Les Kiss and for. Um, Joe Schmidt, I think to have uh, you know their forwards coach who they just really installed, you know, he's come in at the same time as Joe. He's part of Joe's team, and he wants Joe, you know, Joe Schmidt wants to have him grow with the side. But now the fact that uh, he stepped back, he has to kind of go back to the drawing board a bit. And they were very, I won't say for, lucky to get him. You know, I think they were very fortunate to be able to capture a guy like him. Um, but now they have to go out and try and find someone else who's um, who's as good, if not better. And that you know, it's not easy. Yep. All right. Well, Dennis, great to have you in studio. Thanks so much. No problem. I knew the place. Clough, as he calls me Rabbi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? 
It's interesting that Dennis is talking about Leinster in that way as having to secure their place as a top four club, top four, top six club because two seasons ago they were coming off the back of their third Heineken Cup in four years and they were undisputed number ones in Europe maybe seen as the best team in the history of the Heineken Cup certainly one of the top two or three these things can change reasonably quickly Like, Well circumstances did seem to conspire a little bit against Leinster in that there was an age profile there that meant that they were always going to lose O'Driscoll and Leo Cullen and also the, the fact that the money keeps flooding in from the English and French uh, TV stations but at the same time you know, you can kind of say, right, well, Toulon uh, really hammered Leinster in the quarterfinals this year. So that's going to continue happening into perpetuity in the same way that two years ago we thought Leinster have just won two Heineken Cups back to back. That's going to happen into perpetuity. But Dennis's point is uh, correct, though, that you can't really let it slip, you know, because careers for rugby players, you know, they're they're finite. And if you're relying on hometown guys to, to keep... to still provide the the basically the bulwark of your team you you have to offer those guys something to stay because they're going to get bigger money uh, elsewhere you mean an incentive yes. outside of just the money exactly you 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 have to make sure that that's there whether and you have to make sure that you're capable of winning european cups i mean you don't have to be winning it every year but you do have to be able to compete so a couple of years not competing and not looking like you're you sort of you know in that top 4 top 6 people do start looking pretty quickly then and then as Dennis said, that's when the vicious circle really starts. We haven't talked about maybe the biggest sporting event over the weekend yet, Frotch Groves. Mm-hmm. We talked enough about it last week, but just to check in again on that one, Richie Woodall did say he'd seen Carl Frotch training. He'd been essentially in camp with him, training in the same facility, and said he looked absolutely amazing and was convinced that he was going to win, which he did. It's funny, I didn't get it, I didn't get to watch this live, so I bought the fight and then watched it back the following day. So when you know the result, you can't judge commentators yeah. too harshly, but it's funny watching that particular round. The Sky commentary team it was all about Grove getting on top, Frotch struggling a little bit, and then suddenly, bam. Yeah, mm. well, I don't think there was any doubt about it. That was the way the fight appeared to be going. You know, that Frotch definitely had had the better of maybe even five of the first six rounds, but rounds seven and eight were... Grove's best rounds right up until the point where he <laughs> walked onto one of the uh, one of the most sickening knockout blows I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, Frotch has called it the best punch he's ever thrown in his life. I don't think many people would. Yeah, he would really argue with that. seemed even afterwards when he was talking about what he'll do next, and there was hints that he might retire. I'd be amazed if he retired. I'm sure he'll fight one or two more fights and earn a load of money. Even though maybe the the healthiest thing to do is probably to retire at this stage. But you really got the sense that he and he said it. He said whatever I do next is not going to match up to this yeah. and I can't and there's talk of James James the Gale and that's not going to happen for a fight or two and I saw Eddie Hearn saying well you know in a couple of fights time that could fit out Wembley again or that could, I, I don't think so there were confluence of events and personalities that led to this and it's been incredibly good news for Carl Froch that George Groves came along because he was he was a star he was a superstar he had 
the 10 or 11 defences up to that point or whatever. But now, because of Groves, and because he responds to the challenge, he's catapulted yeah. into, and actually above quite a lot of these other massive names. That, yeah, and I mean, I, I think he even, the way he was saying after the fight that, you know, he'd love to fight in Vegas. I think he, as you say, he re- realises Wembley and 80,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just never going to happen Even Vegas again. probably isn't going to yeah. quite match that. Well, I mean, Vegas it. might not match it, but I mean, that's, it's something different. I yeah. mean, I, it's he's never going to get uh, an occasion like that. I mean, I was actually talking to a couple of people who were at it, and oh, yeah. they just said it was completely yeah. insane. And it looked insane, to be honest. 80,000 people at a boxing match. Watching it in the from the third tier. That's the thing. It doesn't look that enjoyable if you're stuck back up the yeah. very top it's rows like of Wembley watching it on watching it on a you know pretty small TV screen in a pub. Basically, if you if you put it to scale, yeah. you know, you're getting a, probably a better view at Still, the back of your local. You're able to touch the atmosphere. That, that is, that is true. Have a listen to some of the other shows up on theirishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. You can listen to us as always on iTunes, on SoundCloud. Um, the app, a uh, good app for Android phones is the Podcast Republic app. And as always, irishtimes.com forward slash second captains. We'll talk more about Keane and about Qatar and plenty more besides in second captains football a little bit later on. But in the meantime, thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Kieran. Thanks, guys. And we'll chat to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.